Well, Christmas season is definitely here, isn't it? I mean, it has been crazy over the past 10 days. Uh, we had uh, sort of our pregame meal to get everything started. We had Thanksgiving Thursday. Uh, we had Black Friday. We had Cyber Monday. We had Giving Tuesday. And some of you may not know, there was another day this past week. It was Empty Wallet Wednesday, right? So many of you here know that that has been the case because you've been out buying Christmas presents. But that's what we do this time of year. We go out, we buy Christmas presents, we go to Christmas parties, we listen to Christmas songs, we watch Christmas movies. In our homes this week, if you were like us, you put up your Christmas tree and you have your Christmas garland and you have your, your Christmas stockings while you're eating your Christmas cookies as you're listening to the Christmas music on the Christmas present you got the year before. I mean, this is what we do this time of the year. As we're putting up all these decorations, maybe some of you got a little crazy and you went outside and you put some out on the, some lights out on, on your home or wherever it is you may live. <clears throat> At this moment, as you're doing that, you look across the street and you see your neighbor and the person that you made fun of for the last 11 months because they never took their Christmas lights down. They're like a genius, right? You're like, man, I wish I was that guy right now. But this is again, this is what we do during the Christmas season. Uh, we take time to prepare for Christmas. Well, one of the decorations maybe you put in your home was uh, or is uh, a nativity scene. And especially if you're a follower of Christ, it's kind of that one little piece, that little trinket, if you will, that you set up in your home just as a reminder of what the Christmas season is all about. I brought ours with me this morning and just wanted to kind of show you it. And you're probably not going to be able to see it, and that's totally fine because you, you kind of know what a nativity scene looks like. But, but I just want to kind of share with you and, and see if yours is, is similar to this. Uh, we have a much overweight and very woolly sheep in ours. Maybe you have that or a donkey or a camel. Uh, of course, if you have some sheep, you need a shepherd. And, and so we have the, the shepherd that's a part of our particular Christmas nativity scene that we have. Um, you probably have wise men who actually were not there at this birth, but we throw them into the picture because it just makes the picture look that much better, right? Uh, we don't know if there were three. There may have been hundreds. There may have been two. We're not real sure, but we know they brought three gifts. But the, these guys are a part of this scene, too. Now, the nativity scene, of course, is not, uh, not fulfilled totally unless you have your angel. And so we have our angel that's a part of, of our Christmas scene. Uh, two of our main actors in the story, of course, Mary and Joseph. So we've got them as a part of our, our Christmas scene also this morning. But, but the main actor, the main person in this whole story is, is this one, baby Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you've got an nativity scene at your home, I want you to go back today. And I want you to check two things on your baby Jesus. First, does he have a full head of hair like he's an adult? Because this one's got a lot of hair on his head. And it's actually parted down the middle, which is uh, a style from 1986. Um, but I have never seen a nativity scene with a baby Jesus that didn't have a smile on it, right? Again, go back and look at your nativity scene. I mean, this is like an adult-sized smile. This kid's like a day old, and yet he's already smiling and not, not crying or spitting up like most babies do. It's just incredible that Jesus wasn't like other kids. But I'm just kidding. That's not the case at all. But there's something about this, this particular baby Jesus because it's interesting to me, when we talk to people who may be far from God, and we talk about the birth of Jesus, so many people are like, I get that. I, I connect with that. Actually, that, that makes a lot of sense to me that, that there's this baby that was born, and that's part of why we celebrate Christmas. 
And yet those same people, if we were to talk to them about the death and resurrection of Jesus, like, I don't believe that at all. I mean, I'm skeptical about, about that. In fact, don't even talk to me about that because I don't want to entertain the thought of that even being true. And yet so many people will connect with this. I've asked myself, why is the picture of the baby so much more powerful than the picture of the cross? And I think it's pretty simple. Um, if you've been here over the last few months, you know that our church has grown dramatically with adults, but it's also grown dramatically because of procreation. Uh, we've added a lot of kids, especially in the last few weeks. H- have you ever watched people when they bring in their kids, you know, a mom and dad, they bring in this little baby child, and the people go up to, to, to introduce themselves to this family and introduce themselves to this kid? Have you ever heard them say, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my entire life? People don't do that, do they? Even if it is the ugliest baby, like the Seinfeld episode, even if it is, people don't say that. No, they they look at a baby and they say, that baby's cute. That that baby's cuddly, and that's why we go and we we pinch their cheeks, and for some reason we pat them on the head, and we stick our finger out and hope that they'll hold on with those big old chubby hands to our fingers. And then we, we look at their feet because every baby has big old chubby soft feet. And so we want to we touch the bottom of their feet. This is what we do. And, and so when you think about it, it's a whole lot easier to connect with a cuddly, cute baby than it is to talk about the death and resurrection of this baby 33, 34 years later. But what if I were to tell you this morning that this story that you and I probably know really well no matter what our church experience may be what if i were to tell you the story is not about a cute cuddly little baby and in fact what if i were to tell you that this story right here is is the beginning of a of a war story over the next few weeks we are doing a story or doing a series called The Untold Stories of Christmas. And, and as we go through the series, we're going to look at some stories that maybe you're not quite as familiar with. Um, we're going to talk about a political story. We're going to talk about a love story. We're going to talk about a never-ending story. But as we begin this series today, we're going to talk about a war story. Because the truth is, the Christmas birth, the story of Jesus is, is a war story. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to get there in a moment. Um, If you have your Journey Church app, you can open it up and follow along. You can follow along on your program. Of course, we put up the words here on the screens. But let me give you a little background about Revelation, because let's just be honest. That's a weird book in the Bible, if you've ever read it before. Uh, In fact, the truth is, scholars agree on a lot of stuff about other books in the Bible. This particular book, they really struggle with, about many different aspects of it. Uh, I tend to be a little bit more conservative when it it comes to this book, and so uh, I'm going to share with you the background that I believe to be true. And again, your your philosophy or your theology may be a little bit different, and that's totally fine, because even some of the greatest minds struggle with this particular book. Uh, Revelation was written by the Apostle John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. Um, He was actually Jesus' best friend, and some people say that they were actually family members. They were cousins of each other. And so that was the, the bond and the connection that these two had. Uh, John wrote this in about 95 A.D., uh, but he also wrote a few other books that we find in Scripture. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, story goes that a literary agent jumped in and like, hey, man, you got to change the names. You can't keep calling these books John. We're going to go with Revelation, and it worked, and that's why he, he did that. I'm totally kidding, okay? There was nothing of the sort that happened. These were named later on in, in life. But... 
John has been imprisoned uh, by the Emperor Domitian on the island of Patmos. This is on the western coast of Turkey. And he's in this place, he's, he's imprisoned, and he gets this vision from God. And, and this vision that God gives him is about the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And, and as, as John is getting this vision from God, he's, he's writing to these churches about everything they're experiencing. The persecution they're getting from the Roman emperor, and from the Roman government. Uh, he's talking to them about theological issues that they have. He's also talking to them about spiritual warfare. And this morning, that's actually what we're going to look at. Revelation chapter 12. We're going we're gonna to read a retelling of the, the birth of Jesus that's a little weird, okay? And in fact, it's, it's quite strange, but we find it here in Revelation with John, starting with verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. John says, God gives me this incredible vision, and, and in this vision, I, I see something amazing. There's this incredible sign, and the sign is the birth of Jesus. And, and so this woman that we find here that John is writing about, the, this vision that God has given him, is, is Mary. And what do we find about that birth? It's normal, right? It, it doesn't say, and there was this easy birth, and Jesus came out in like five minutes, and everything was great. No, it's not that at all. It's painful just like pregnancy is. It's painful when you give birth. I don't know anything about that. My wife does. Ladies, you know that. It's way worse than anything we can imagine because you tell us that all the time. You just don't even know what it's like to give birth. And it's true, we don't. But they didn't even have medication back in the day. And so think about the pain that is there. But we find Mary giving birth to Jesus. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. I don't know what it is about that particular passage, but every time I read it, I just think about Lord of the Rings. It just seems like that kind of imagery that we're, we're find here. We have a new character. Uh, this character is, is this dragon. And this dragon is representative of Satan, of, of the devil. And again, this is kind of where the story gets a little bit strange. Um, it talks about these, these stars that are here that are swept out of the sky. In Jewish theology, stars represented angels. And, and so the story that we find is we have this, this dragon, the devil, Satan, who takes a third of the angels, angels with him. And what is Satan waiting to do to devour this kid when it's born? I think about the story a little bit. If you know uh, a little bit more about the story of Jesus' birth, uh, after Jesus is, is born, the, the, these wise men, they're actually not a part of this picture here, okay? They're, they're coming in a, a little bit later on into our story. But uh, they end up in Jerusalem, and they see King Herod, and they're like, hey, we, we know that this prophecy has come true. We see the star. This baby's going to be born. This is going to be a king. Where's this king being born? And of course, Herod's scared, like, whoa, somebody's coming in and take my place. And, and so he tells the wise man, he's like, hey, guys, when you find this baby, let me know because I want to come and, and worship this new king. Well, of course, these guys go to Jesus' home, and um, they see Jesus, but God go back to Herod, actually leave. Go back a different way. Herod realizes this, 
and is upset and angry. And so he sends his troops into Bethlehem and says, here's what I need you to do. Kill every male child under the age of two. Let's get rid. Let's get rid of this king. And I think that was part of Satan's plan. That was part of this devouring of this child that we, we see and we read about in the story of the birth of Jesus. And John's reminding us there's spiritual warfare that's happening at this moment when Jesus is born. The story continues on here. Look at verse 5. It says, She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. We see a little time lapse happens here. Jesus is born, comes to this earth. God protects him and his family so that God's plan can be lived out. Jesus is then killed, he dies, comes back to life, he resurrects from the dead, God brings him back to life. He lives out his purpose to save all of humanity, and God does what God needs to do to protect, protect Jesus here on this earth. Look at verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. There's a cosmic spiritual battle uh, that is happening. This is, this is good versus, versus evil, right? This is cowboys versus the redskins. 38 to 14. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, now, this, this is God versus Satan. This is, this is a powerful story. And in fact, this is the moment that scholars look at this story and they say this is the time that Jesus died until he came back to life. This is when this, this cosmic spiritual battle is taking place between God's angels and the angels of Satan. Satan doesn't win. And what does Satan do? Look at verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Satan was not able to get Mary or Joseph or get rid of Jesus. And because of that, Satan says, okay, I'm going after everyone else. When we look at this story, the Christmas story, it is a war story. I know some of you are like, would you just change this and talk about the cute, cuddly little baby Jesus? Because that seems so much more better than, than talking about this as some battle or war that we're a part of. But the truth is, that's, that's the story that we find here. Now, please understand, I am not negating what many of you have experienced in war settings here in this church. Please know that. We're talking about something very different. This is a spiritual battle that, that takes place for you and I every single day. And this is a battle that rages even to this day. See, when we think about this Revelation story as the birth story, it's a very different picture than the Christmas cards we send out, right? It's very different than the postcards we're going to receive and start putting up in our homes, it's very different than what we maybe even talk about in the, in the church setting. We are talking about something very different than you and I usually expect during the Christmas season because for us, this is the Christmas dream, isn't it? Everything's perfect. 
Everybody's there, even though they actually weren't all there at this time. Uh, Mary and Joseph are happy. Everybody's got a smile. Even the, the sheep here has got a smile. And, of course, baby Jesus has a ton of hair, and he's got a big old adult smile on his face. This is like the perfect picture of what Christmas we hoped and wish it were like. But there was more going on. There's a Christmas reality that there was a young, unmarried couple that were engaged to each other, and God says, I'm going to jump into the middle of your life and change your life drastically. And there's this, this mom, this, this woman who has to have this child, and it's not, it's not very much fun. It's painful. It hurts. And, and while this young, unmarried couple is trying to cope with all this that's going on, there's, there's a battle that's waging that they don't even see, the spiritual battle, trying to take her out and the, the dad out, well, actually, the, the dad on earth, but more importantly, trying to take Jesus out of the picture now, there's a story of the reality that that you and i even to this day we're still a part of this the same war and battle that took place almost two thousand years ago that is the story of christmas i think philip yancey put it best in the jesus i never knew he said as a christian i believe that we live in parallel worlds one world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. The other consists of angels and sinister forces and somewhere out there places called heaven and hell. One night in, in the cold, in the dark, among the wrinkled hills of Bethlehem, these two worlds came together at a dramatic point of intersection. God who knows no before or after entered time and space. God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin the ominous restraints of mortality the auntie says hey there was this little perfect world and then at least it seemed that way and and god thrust himself into the midst of it with with this baby to battle this fight that most of us don't even believe in many ways even exist but see this story the christmas story is a war story and god planned a battle. The enemy was Satan. The location was a little podunk town called Bethlehem. The rebel leaders were Mary and Joseph. But there's only one soldier, and that was Jesus. And in fact, if we really want to take this a step further, this, this story right here, this was D-Day. Some of you know your history very well, and in World War II, you know that the Germans had basically taken over all of Europe, and the Allies were trying to figure out how do we how do we defeat this this juggernaut of an army? How do we how do we get our land back? Because they were they were annihilating everything in in their path. Well, the Allied forces got together and they came up with a plan. They said, "What would it look like if we invaded at Normandy? If we went there, could we push these troops back in such a way that we could begin to win this war?" On June 6, 1944. Operation Neptune was put into uh, action. And on that day, 156,000 Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy. At the end of that battle, 4,413 troops had died, 2,499 being U.S. troops, one of them being my great uncle, who I get my middle name after. Everybody says that that's the day the Allies they won that beach, they, they won that battle. But historians also say that's the moment that allies won the war. 
when we look at this picture, this is about a cute, cuddly little baby, but it's also about a, a day where this, this war, this battle with, with Satan began to change. See, God had spent all this time trying to work with the Israelites to get them to a place to say, we believe in you, we know who you are, we're going to follow you, and they still wouldn't do it. Evil was present all over the place. You, you had the Israelites who said, we don't believe that you are who you say you are. And, and by the way, we've got the Roman Empire that's all over the place. And it felt hopeless to so many people. And so what does God do? Well, God has an option. God can say, I'm just going to get rid of all of you. But he made a promise a few years before that and said, hey, I did that once, uh, once before, and I, I don't ever want to do that again. And so what does God do? God chooses to put Jesus into this world, into this story, into this, this battle to fight against Satan. In 1 John chapter 3, 8, John, who wrote Revelation, wrote these words, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Talking about Satan and the devil, I, I know is weird, okay? I, I know it's, it's strange, it's kind of hard to, to think of this even being true. Uh, in fact, we, we don't. Uh, in 2009, Barna Research uh, did a survey and asked people in America, how many of you believe in God? 80% came back and said, hey, I believe in God. A and then they said, how many of you don't believe in Satan? 70% came back and said, we don't believe in Satan. Think about that. 80% said we believe in God, and yet 70% said we don't believe that there is this, this Satan, this external force, this evil force, this sinister force that's out there. I love the line from The Usual Suspects. Kaiser Sose says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Think about that. Now, sometimes we, we, we don't want to believe and understand it's true, but I do what I do because I do believe that. I do see that in our world. And if you and I were to stop for a moment, if we struggle with this, if we were to, to look around us, what do we see? We see evil. If we think about the experiences that we have in our lives, the things that we go through, guess what? We see and experience evil. We know that it's there, and yet what do we do? We blame God. God, why would you let this happen? God, where were you when this took place? God, where are you right now? See, we're, we're quick to blame God. Here's God saying, here's all this good stuff I have for you and I want for you. And something doesn't go right for us. And our automatic response is to blame God because we believe God exists. We don't want to believe there's something sinister out there that we've got a force that's against us, that's against God, trying to, to take our souls and our hearts from us. Theologically, when we look at Scripture, all throughout the Bible, there's always talk about the devil satan this dragon even jesus when he prays the lord's prayer he says deliver us from the evil one and yet today we struggle we struggle with that so mightily stay with me today and even if you think satan doesn't exist that's totally fine this is a safe place for you to be by the way but if that is true if there is this, this battle that began on this day for our souls and hearts and our minds between God and, and this sinister force that, that we call Satan, if it's true, how do we prepare ourselves for that battle? Well, this morning I want to leave with you 
three next steps that I think are so important when it comes to understanding this story and our place in it. Now, the first thing that you and I have to do, we've got to choose a side. We've got to choose a side. Now, for all of us, there are usually three sides that we have to choose from. The first one is Team Jesus, right? People are like, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Yeah, that sounds great. I like Jesus. He was a good guy. He taught some really cool things in the Bible. So we want to say, I'll follow Jesus, no problem. But then there's another team, and that's Team Satan. And and if I were to say, hey, who wants to follow Team Satan? Nobody in here is going to be like, yeah, I'm in on that. He's a good guy. I really like doing it. No, nobody's going to do that. But there's a third option that we have. This is a team that I like to say is um, I like the Redskins and Cowboys team, okay? And, and you know people who are like that. They're like, hey, I like the Redskins and Cowboys. Like, you can't do that. They're like, no, nah, I do. I, I like both of those teams. You can't do that. That is not a viable option to like both of those teams. You can like one and dislike the other. That's the way this goes. And yet for many of us spiritually, that's where we are. We'll say, hey, I like Team Jesus, and I want to be on Team Jesus. Team Jesus is great, but... I got my little world over here, and I, I want to hold on to that. I, I got this little thing that I just can't let go of. I'm just, I'm just going to hold on to that, that grasp that I have because it, it's pretty tight, and it, it really hurt me to let go of this. But I like Jesus. Jesus is a swell guy, but I still have this over here. This over here is, is not Team Jesus. That's Team Satan. And in the end, we have to make a choice between these two teams in fact it's funny earlier on in, in revelation chapter three um jesus is telling john to write this portion of this this book to a church in laodicea and he tells them he's like hey guys uh you're lukewarm he's like you're not hot you're not cold and because of that i'm going to spit you out of my mouth sometimes i think we forget about that We think that that's a third option for us, but the truth is that is not an option that we have. Uh, We want to be like the Swiss during both World War I and World War II. They were neutral. We want to be like the spiritual Swiss. We want to be neutral. We we don't fully want to engage in the team of Jesus. And so when we choose to say, I want option three, uh, we're actually picking option two. Jesus says in Matthew 12, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Those are pretty strong words from Jesus. But you know what? You and I have to choose. We have to choose a side. And if we choose team Jesus, then the next thing we have to do is we have to gear up. We have to be prepared for this this battle, this spiritual battle that's, that's taking place. It always amazes me when people become followers of Christ. Uh, sometimes they think that when you become a follower of Christ, Jesus is like this magical elixir that takes all the pain away, right? That takes all the bad away, that those temptations that you've been struggling with, that marriage that's broken, those relationships that are hurting, those finances that are a mess, that Jesus just takes all that away, that that, that pain and that hurt's not there anymore. Guess what? That's not the way this works. And so we have to be prepared. We have to, to gear up for the spiritual battle that's happening around us because the enemy is going to try to take us out. The enemy is going to try to jump between our marriage in the midst of our marriage and, and break us apart. Now, the enemy is going to mess up our friendships. The enemy is going to keep messing with our finances. This is the way it works. And so are we ready for when those moments come? 
Are we prepared and geared up for what is lying in front of us? I love what Paul writes in Ephesians 6. He talks about the armor of God. He talks about this belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. If we choose, if we choose to follow Jesus, we've got to be prepared for battle. Which means, for you and I, we spend time praying every day. I know for some of us that's a struggle. I know that for some of us we don't do that. What would it mean to just take a moment, even if it's 30 seconds, say, hey, God, I need your help. Hey, God, I need you to watch over me and protect me as I go through this day. Just start small. And even when it comes to reading the Scripture, this is an important part of gearing up. Some of you, you can sit down and read a whole book in the Bible in a day, and, like, that's normal for you. I know for most of us that's not. So what does it look like even to start reading? Like, okay, I got three sentences in. I think that's all I can do. You know what? Start small. I don't care. Just begin to spend time every single day here in Scripture. It's how we protect ourselves. It's how we gear up for the spiritual war that we're a part of. But I also think that means being a part of a church community. And being a part of a place like this where we can be around people who are going through, through very similar things in their life. Where that experience is there. Where people who are spiritually maybe ahead of us a little bit can give us the guidance we need. Can mentor us to get us to a place of where we can deal with those spiritual arrows that are coming our way. It's so important that we do that. That's why we invite you to be in life groups. Being in a life group is such a, a big part of protecting ourselves and working through the pain and the hurt and the experiences we have because the enemy is trying to take us out. It's important that we do that. In January, we start pushing those again. We're going to invite you to get back in those and to be a part of those because they are such an important part of living life together. These are ways that we gear up for what lies in front of us because James says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And part of us being able to resist the devil is being able to put our battle rattle, if you will, on. We've got to choose a side. We've got to gear up. And then lastly, we have to be willing to do the Jesus mission and advance love. And I think this sometimes may be the hardest part. Uh, the night before D-Day, paratroopers from the 82nd 101st Airborne were dropped behind enemy lines to... Um, take out any kind of reinforcements that may be coming from the Germans to, uh, to Normandy to fight. And if you know much about the story, uh, you know as these paratroopers were being flown in, they were being shot at by the Germans, but not only that was happening, the weather was bad, and so as these paratroopers were dropping, they were being blown all over the place. Very few reached the spot they were supposed to be. They didn't reach their landing zone, some, some miles away. And if you know many stories uh, from that particular evening, you know, here are all these very young men in a country they know nothing about in the middle of the night trying to get to the spot they're supposed to be in. What happens is that um, we have some people, some men who are very brave, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They, They lived out and advanced the mission that they were called to be a part of. And yet there are still some stories about some of those young men who were, who were cowards. They struggled advancing this, this mission. 
There's a story told by one of the captains. He and his men came up on this farmhouse, and as they were getting closer to it, they noticed that it sounded like there was a huge party that was happening inside the farmhouse. And they just figured, because where they were, that it was Germans. As they got closer to the farmhouse, they realized it wasn't Germans, but they were troopers, paratroopers from the 82nd 101st Airborne. Well, not only had these guys found the farmhouse, but they found that downstairs in the basement was the liquor stash. And so they had gone down, grabbed all the liquor, and they were drunk. They were having a big party. When you think about that for a moment, here's a group of, of men who knew what their, their job was. They, they knew what their mission was, and yet they decide, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to advance anymore. I, I'm just going to give up. It's not any different than us, is it? Many times we, we pray to God, you know, God, help me, lead us, fix this, change this. And, and when it doesn't come the way that we want, when, when the prayers don't get answered in the time that we want, or even at all, what do we do? I'm just going to give up. I'm going to give in. Or when that temptation keeps coming back at us, and we haven't geared up enough, and we finally just say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to give up. I, I'm going to give in. It's so easy for us to get caught up in that and not advancing the mission of love that I think when we are followers of Jesus, we are called into. We are called to spread Jesus' love in this world, which means even if your marriage is struggling, you're called to bring love into that marriage. Even if your, your friendships are broken, you're called to bring love into that marriage. Even over the next few weeks when you're around people from your family, you really don't want to be around because there's, there's tension there. There's this barrier between you. You know what you're called to do if you're a follower of Jesus? You're called to bring love into that situation. That's what it means to advance love. We advance love with the people around us. We advance love into our community, into the places that we live. We advance love into our world. That's why Jesus came. That's why this is so important, because there is a spiritual battle that's taking place every day. And the only way to make it through is to advance the love of Jesus, just like Jesus showed, how us, showed us how to do in his time here on this earth, which means we love intentionally. We love unconditionally. We love beyond reason. That's who we are. That is our mission here on this earth. This story is a war story. And you and I have to choose a side. A and we have to gear up for the battles ahead so that we can advance the mission of love that Christ came here to show us how to do ourselves. Uh, look, I get it. We want the story of the cute, cuddly, full head of hair. Yes, I'm probably jealous. Uh, ad adult smile on the kid, baby. That, that's what we want to talk about on Christmas, right? But the reality is, it's much more than the cute, cuddly baby. It is a story of a battle that takes place every single day. And in the end, you and I, we got to choose a side. Every single Sunday here at The Journey, we come here and we take this communion together. And as we, we head into this moment today, it reminds me of Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem. And, and as he's coming in, he's riding a donkey. And, and the people out there, they start...
throwing down their coats. They start throwing down palm leaves because they're excited because Jesus is coming. Because here's the deal. They think Jesus is coming as his earthly king. So they're prepared for that. That's what their excitement's all about. Jesus is coming so we can take over our land again. We can take over our city. We can take our temple back from the Romans. This can be ours, just like God promised. Jesus comes in and he's like, hey, that's not why I'm here. I've got another battle that I'm fighting. And it's not an earthly battle. It's not a worldly battle. It is a spiritual battle. He's like, I'm I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for your heart, for your soul. That's the importance of the story. So Jesus be here to battle for us as we take this bread and juice today my prayer is that you will be reminded of this this is way bigger than this story it's like let's get the heavy stuff out of the way the first week but let's also understand that this is the reason that we are here it's the reason this baby was born for you and i for this moment that we get to celebrate together